Good morning. It's great to see you guys this morning. So um, my senior year of college, I was uh, going to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Sorry to all you OU fans out there who lost last night. Anyway, um, so senior year, uh, there were a whole bunch of us who took a road trip down to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. And just to be clear up front, just to be clear, this was not a Christian mission trip that we were on, Okay. <laughs> Uh, we were going out down there to just take in New Orleans for all it had to offer to just kind of go down there and have, have a great time. Okay. Does that make sense, everybody? Okay. So we go down there. There's a whole, there's like 15 of us or so, and we're walking around in the French quarter of New Orleans and it's around lunchtime. I want you to remember that. That's important time of day. It was, so it's around lunchtime and we're, we're, we're walking through French quarter and we turn this corner. And we see this crowd of people. And as we turn and look at this crowd of people, they're all holding signs like this. And they just, they, they just started letting, letting everybody have it. They're just going, repent, sinners, turn or burn. Repent, repent, repent. And a whole bunch of them just waving signs like this. So what I'm thinking is, first of all, man, your timing is way off, Okay. It's like one o'clock in the afternoon. There's, you know, all the debauchery, that, that's not happening for like 10 more hours, okay? There's no repenting that needs to happen right now, okay? But it, the other thing that it did to me, and I was someone who, I grew up in church, okay? I grew up in church, but then I had a long time away from the church where I was just, I, I really wanted nothing to do with faith or, or any of that stuff, okay? So that hit me so hard when I saw, when I saw these signs and I saw that word repent. Because what this brought me back to was some really um, difficult conversations and confrontations that I had had with one of my really close friends in college who had just, he'd come on fire for God. Like he was just fired up for Jesus. And he wanted everyone else to just experience this incredible thing, right? But what he started doing is he started saying, hey, Derek, you know, um, when you... When, when you, when you do certain things in your life, like, that's really hurting God. And that's, that's really hurting you. And, and, and God really hates that. And, and you need to understand that. Now, I understand that he, his heart was, he just, he just wanted me to experience the same kind of joy and love that, that he had. But, but this is all that I felt was just, it's just like he was holding up a giant. Repent! 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 I know his intentions were good. I know they were good. But that wasn't what I felt. See, that word repent for me, I don't know about you, but that word repent for me, it's a major problem. I have a visceral reaction to that word. Now, the bigger problem, if you have a reaction to that word repent, is when you realize that that word repent is found over and over and over again. Where? In the Bible. It's actually in there. In fact, Jesus is kind of behind this word. So let's look. We're, we're trekking through Mark. We're in Mark chapter 6 today. If you have your Bible, which I encourage you to always bring with you, uh, feel free to turn to Mark 6. We're going to start in verse 6 and 7 and then verse 12. So here's the bigger problem for those of us who have a reaction like I do to this word repent. It says in verse 6, 
So then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12, that's the 12 disciples, calling the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over impure spirits. And then in verse 12, it says, they went out and they repeat, they, they preached that people should repent. So the thought that hit me was, okay, so Jesus sent out his disciples preaching repentance. So does that mean that if Jesus was walking this earth today, that he would actually be sending his disciples out to Mardi Gras festivals and other places, and they would be holding up picket signs like this? I mean, is this actually biblical? What's, what's happening here that, that I have such a hard time with? That's, that's my bigger problem, all right? Well, that's what we're going to try and dive into and unpack today. Before we do that, why don't we ask God to help us? Would you bow your heads with me? Uh, Lord, this word repent is a big word. It's a loaded word. And for many of us, uh, there's things just like for me that certain things come to mind, certain experiences we recall, God. Uh, Lord, help us to understand, to wrap our minds around what is it you're saying? Give us clarity on this, God. Show us. Speak to each one of us this morning in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So let's try and unpack this a little bit more. So we skipped over verses 8 through 11 in this whole thing of Jesus calling his disciples to go out and to preach. The verses we skipped say this. So these were his instructions to his disciples. We're starting in verse 8. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place won't welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so it says then that they went out and they preached that people should repent. So here's the, here's the thing. What is the deal with Jesus telling his disciples, take absolutely nothing with you? Okay, don't take any food, don't take any money, don't take a bag to hold anything that you might be given along the way. Don't even take any extra clothes. What is the point that Jesus is trying to impress upon them here? What's Jesus doing? Well, there's an obvious point, I think, and that is that he's sending them out completely in faith, right? Completely trusting that God is going to provide for them along the journey. But there's something else that's going on here. Jesus is sending out his disciples, essentially, as homeless beggars. Think about it. They got nothing. They are are completely dependent on the town that they walk into that someone would take them in, that would would give them hospitality and would provide for their needs. So the disciples aren't coming into these towns, riding in in a position of high and mighty. Look at me, you know, I've got something. Here's this poor town, this lost town, and and we're riding in and we're all good. And now we're we're gonna we've got something that they need to hear. We've got to preach this thing. That's not how they're coming in at all. Jesus is sending them in the most humble way he possibly could send them. He's completely leveling the playing field here as they come in and they're preaching this message. It reminds me of a, a homeless shelter and soup kitchen that I used to be a part of in Cincinnati. Where I, where I grew up. This, this um, soup kitchen did things like no other place that I had ever seen before. What they would do is, instead of the volunteers being behind the food line and serving the, the residents who would come through, they actually had us prepare the food ahead of time. 
So the food was all prepared. And then as the residents would start to file in, volunteers would be encouraged to just intermingle in the line with them. We would all go through the line together. And we would serve ourselves, kind of walking through a buffet line. And anybody's a fan of all-you-can-eat buffets out there like me. So you just all walk through together. So what that did was then there was no... There was no kind of position of privilege where I, as a volunteer, it's like, look what I have for you, you person in need. You know, it just kind of creates that subtle thing that's going on there. Instead, we just walked through that line together, and we sat down, and, and we ate. Just as, just as everybody's got to eat, right? I mean, we just sat down. It totally leveled the playing field. It changed everything for me in terms of the whole relational dynamic. See, Jesus is brilliant in this strategy that he has by sending his disciples out as essentially homeless beggars with nothing in this position of need. They're coming in in this lowly, humble way. And it, it just makes the whole message different in terms of what they shared. So that's the first thing that we need to note. The second thing that's important is that when Mark says here in 612 that they went out and they preached that people should repent. He's, he's talked about this before with Jesus. He said that Jesus went out and he preached, okay? So when he's, when he's saying it again, he doesn't need to go through all the details of what he said before in Mark chapter 1. He's just saying, okay, so Jesus went out and now the disciples are going out. So let's look at what he says actually in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, because it, Jesus is the one who went out first. Check this out. After John, this is John the Baptist, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. Proclaiming the good news of God. Notice that. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So when, when Mark writes again in, in chapter 6, he says, oh yeah, they went out and they preached repentance. Okay? But, but overall, what's happening here is it's so much more than they're just walking in with these signs and going, hey, it's repent, repent, repent. What he's saying that they did was they went and they proclaimed good news. That's what this thing was all about. Repentance was a part of it, but it was about good news first and foremost. So what's the good news, you might ask? What's the good news? Well, the good news, Jesus says, is the kingdom of God is near. He's saying the good news, people, is that you have been crying out to God for a savior, for help. For deliverance. You've been asking for this. And this is the good news we've got. Okay. God has actually come down in human flesh. Has arrived on the scene. Your savior is here. Jesus didn't just go around doing these amazing teachings. And, and healing people. And doing all these incredible miracles. He didn't just do that. He also walked around and he said. Your sins are forgiven. That's the good news. We've been contrasting, if you've been coming the past few weeks, religion versus gospel. Religion, if you remember, religion says that if I obey, if I do the things that I'm supposed to do, then I'll be accepted by God. Then I'll be blessed. The gospel, the good news, is radically different than that. In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. The good news that Jesus is proclaiming is forgiveness has already been given. It's already been extended. You're already accepted. Your sins are already washed away. Jesus' death on the cross gives us 
that acceptance that we already have. All we have to do then, okay, this good news that's proclaimed, there is something that we have to do, Jesus says, in verse 15, Mark chapter 1. So, repent and believe the good news. The good news comes first, and then the repentance comes after that. Now, you may be saying, okay, that's all well and good. So they came in very humbly, and, you know, okay, cool, it was good news, and Jesus is here, and you're already forgiven, and, you, and, and that, that's amazing. But I still see this word, and it's still difficult for me, okay? If that's you, then I totally feel you 100%, because this word still, even, even knowing that, I'm still like, yeah, but why does that word have to be there? What's the deal with repentance? You know why we have such a problem with the word repentance? I've only got one fill-in for you today. But the reason we have such a problem with repentance is because true repentance is about coming to the realization that I have a problem. That's why we have a problem with it. Because it actually says, I have a problem. We have to get to the point where we say, you know what? I have a problem here. The word repent is, is so much more than just an individual sin. An individual thing that we do that we need to turn from. That's, that's a part of it, okay? But it's so much more than that, you guys. I, I, I hope that you can grasp this. The word repentance in the Greek, the New Testament is written in Greek originally, comes from the Greek word metanoia. Metanoia. And it means to change one's mind, to alter one's understanding. So it's repentance isn't about, oh, God, you know, I'm so sorry for, for that thing that I did last night. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm turned away from that. I'm not going to do that. Okay, that, that's, that's a part of it. But the deeper thing that it play, is at play here is us coming to the point where we say, you know what, God, I understand that I have a fundamental problem that I can't fix on my own. And I need your help. This is why repentance is such a problem. Because this is the 21st century Washington, D.C., right? I mean, we don't go around saying we've got a problem. Everything's great, right? You walk down the street, how are you? Oh, fine. How are you? Good, right? There, there's no problem here. I want you to do something right now. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him, say, I have a problem. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor and say, I have a problem. See, there's like a whole ton of you guys right now, and you're not doing that. See, that, that's, that doesn't come naturally, right? We don't do that. My wife says, I've never ever done that in my life with, in my marriage, right? Th- this is something that is so counter to the way we think, the way we've grown up, what our culture and what our society says. It never says, oh, you need to, you need to admit that you have a problem. You need to admit that you can't handle it all on your own. No. When do we ever hear that? Jesus Christ is telling us that's exactly what we need to do. That's got to be the posture of our hearts if we are going to receive the good news. I want you guys to check out Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. Jesus is sharing a parable, and it's, it's powerful. It really gets at the heart of this thing. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, tax collectors, they were 
it was a despised profession. They were generally seen as completely immoral and corrupt. Okay? And we've got this Pharisee, super religious person. In today's equivalent, it would be like the most church-going, Bible-reading, you know, giving person that you could ever imagine. So two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. I tell you that this man, Jesus is referring to the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus went around teaching, we read in the Gospels. And as he taught about the things of God, as he taught about the kingdom of God, it said that the people were amazed. They were in awe of the way he taught. The kind of wisdom and the kind of insight that he brought. Jesus taught us so many things about the kingdom of God that are paradoxical. They're completely counter to the way that we think they should be. It's like the difference between religion and gospel. Jesus talked about how the last will actually be first and the first will be last. He said that the meek are going to be the ones who inherit the earth. That it's in our weakness that we experience God's strength. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. All these paradoxes that Jesus teaches. The general message that at least I seem to be getting from this world around me is I don't have a problem. I don't. In fact, I'm good. I'm good. No issues here. I can do it all on my own. I, you know, this is America. We can do whatever we want. If we just work hard enough, we can get there, right? Jesus is saying, no, it's actually not like that. It's counter to that. Jesus is saying, no, we actually do have a problem here. This is one of the hardest things for me, you guys, okay? This word right here freaks me out. I I can't stand this word. I'm just, I'm just totally being honest. There, there's a lot of baggage for me. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I just, I still, I'm up here giving this message, and I, I st- it still doesn't sit with me, even after everything that we're talking about. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, you guys. Jesus says it's essential. I don't like that. But Jesus says it's essential. All my training, all my years... I've always been told, no, you're good enough. Oh, it's cool. You're good. You can be out. I think that's great. But Jesus says, no, you just have to humbly realize that you, you can't do it all on your own, that you're in need of a Savior. 
there's this great news out there. Forgiveness has already been given. Jesus hung on that cross. He died for every single person on this planet. It's already out there. The, the only thing we have to do is admit that we have a need for it. And I find that that is maybe the hardest thing for me to do because it's just so counter to my understanding. I know that there are a whole bunch of you guys sitting out there right now and you're really wrestling with this whole Christianity thing. You know, and, and, and you're trying to figure out who is Jesus and, and you're, you're really intrigued, you're compelled by Jesus, the way that he lived, the things that he taught. Just a few years ago, I was in that exact same place. Jesus is cool. I mean, yeah, I, I, really, I really like Jesus. The biggest problem for me, I don't know if it is for you, okay? I don't know if it is for you, but for me, the biggest hurdle that I actually had to taking that step of faith and putting my faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who is the Savior of the world was just being willing to say, you know what? I have a problem. I, I need a Savior. I can't do this on my own. Everything inside of me didn't want to say that. Everything inside of me didn't want to say that. For months and months and months, I remember going to this fantastic church and hearing these messages and thinking, this is it. I know, I, you know, you could feel it. You could feel it. You kept coming. You know, you, there's a reason why you kept coming back to church. And even though you didn't believe you were, you were, I mean, that, this was me. I know this is a whole bunch of you guys out there. I, I just want to encourage you, okay? As gently as I can, try and explore that a little bit. Try and explore that. For me, it just came down to, to getting to this place where I said, you know what? I, I just have to realize I, I'm not perfect. In the eyes of a perfect, holy God, I don't measure up. Again, that's not something that the world will ever say to you. This is one of the hardest things to hear. And for some of you, you're like, I, I just don't see my need. I, I don't, you know, this is great, but I don't, I don't see it. Jesus, I mean, if, if you want to try and read something that... that if you're like, how do I get in touch with this a little bit more? Okay, let me give you one, one place you can go in the Bible. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. First of the four Gospels. Jesus lays out the most ridiculous requirements for what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. It's ridiculous. He says, you know what? You've heard it said don't murder, but I tell you this. If you have even been angry with somebody, it's as good as murder. In the eyes of a perfect, holy God. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I tell you that if you've even looked lustfully at somebody, you've committed adultery in the eyes, uh, in a standard of total perfection. This is what it's all about for us. I I know the kind of reactions that we have to this word. But what this word really just means is, you know what? I know that in my own strength, in my own power, there's nothing that I can do to be in that same place of perfection. I'm in need of a savior. Jesus says, when we do that, that's it. Boom. We're good to go. Those of you who are here this morning and you're wrestling with this, um, we're going to do a a baptism celebration in just a few minutes as part of our service today. I'm getting ready to conclude this message so that we have time in our service to do that. And I, I want you to listen in the testimonies for the place where people came to realize that moment where they realize, you know what, I can't do this all on my own. I, I, I'm in need of a Savior. But that's the moment that we make that connection.
Jesus says, that's it. That's all, that's all you got to do. That's the hardest thing to do, but it's all we need to do. It's the hardest thing to do, but it's all we need to do. Now, for those of us in this room who've been walking with Jesus for quite a while now, we've, yeah, we, we admitted our need, and you know, oh yeah, I did that, I checked that box, I'm good. Okay, that's you, you've been doing this thing for a while. I want to share a story with you because um, I found that as we grow in our faith and as we begin to do great things like go to church and read the Bible and give and all these great things that we should do, we have to be so careful that we don't come like the Pharisee in the story. So my wife, Becky, has always, I've always seen her as like more, much more spiritually advanced than me. Always. Always had more faith, you know, always more solid, always more steady. She was always kind of pulling me along. And then at some point, somehow, I don't know how it worked, but like I kind of, woo, I, I felt like I, I breezed by her a little bit, okay? If I could say that without sounding arrogant. Um, and so all of a sudden, I, I find that like, you know, I am so f- on fire. So I start, I start getting up early and I'm reading my Bible, man, like early in the morning and I'm praying and I'm even keeping a prayer journal. You know what I'm saying? Like I am, I am fired up. Now I hadn't been doing this before. I found that within like the second or third day that I'm doing this practice, you know, very early in the morning, what I, what I realize is I'm sitting here and I'm praying and I'm saying, God, thank you so much for waking me up early and just helping me to realize this. Um, but you know, God, I just really got to pray for my wife, Becky, because, you know, she's still sleeping. She doesn't see. No, I'm not. This isn't a joke. Okay? I mean, it's funny, but it's not a joke. It's, this is dead on serious what happened to me. I started praying, you know, help her to see because she's just sleeping. I mean, you know, and, and here I am and I'm, I'm starting the day right and I'm in your word and, and I'm just getting the right perspective, you know, and here she is, she's just lazy. She's just asleep. You know, help her to see God. Take the scales off of her eyes and help her to realize, like, she's got to do this. Do you realize how crazy that is? The whole ton of pride just crept up inside of me. The second that I got religious, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's a, a wonderful thing to get up early and to start. That's, that's exactly how we should start our day, right? Amen? That's the, in a perfect world, that's exactly how we start our day. Every day. But do you see how easy it is for this other stuff to creep in? We start going, thank God that, you know, I'm so great. I'm reading my Bible and I've been to church eight Sundays in a row. You know, God, I just pray because, you know, I know so-and-so. I had not been there in a while. You know, I just, just be really careful with that, Okay? Here's the deal. Repentance is not a one-time event. It's a process. The second that we lose sight of the fact that we always have a need for God, we're in trouble. The reality is that whether we put our faith in Jesus Christ or we haven't, we're all still in need of a Savior every day. To live the life that God wants us to live, to do the things that God wants us to do, we have to continually come to a place where we say, you know what, God, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. So what we're going to do now is I want to, I want to pray and close out this element of the service. And then we're going to bring up, we've got four people in this service who are going to be getting baptized and sharing their stories or quick stories of how they have come to faith in Jesus Christ. So um, why don't we pray and then um, you won't want to miss what's going to happen next. Lord God, um, this word repent, 
I have this visceral reaction to it, God, and I know so many in the room do. Lord, uh, help us with that word because there's just this, this instant thing in us that fights against it. And God, I, at least for me, so much of it is, is a product of all the things that I've heard and, and a combination of just kind of my, my pride and, and things that are going on inside of me. But I don't like to admit that I have a problem. I don't like to admit that I have a need. God, I know there are so many out there who are feeling the same way. God, I want to lift up those here right now in this room who are grappling with you, with who you are. They're so compelled by you, Jesus. But when they really look at it and dig and try and figure out what is really going on here, the reality is, for many of us, we just have such a hard time admitting our need. I pray right now that you'd humble us the way you humbled your disciples, the way you sent them out, that you'd humble us, God, if we're just teetering on that line of faith and we know we, we want to do what is holding us back, God, I pray right now that there would be many in this room who would just agree with me in prayer that, God, compared to your perfect standard that you issue, compared to a perfect, holy, almighty, loving God, we, we, we're not perfect. We've, met, we've messed up. We've made mistakes. And no matter what we do, God, we will never be worthy of that ultimate standard. That ultimate standard has only been set by you, Jesus. And it's by putting our faith in you and admitting that we need you. That instantly, we're called righteous, blameless, perfect in your sight. Lord, for everyone who just prayed that prayer, God, I, I just pray you would you'd come around them right now and... Um, you would just pour into them right now. For those of us who are here and we were like, yeah, check that box. I've repented. I'm good. But guard our hearts against pride creeping in. It's the most subtle thing. We don't even know it's there. God, help us to stay humble and focus on the fact that we need you, God. We need you to live the life and to do the things that you call us to do. Protect us. And ground us in you, Jesus. We just pray for the four people who are going to be getting baptized right now. We pray, God, that you would give them your words, um, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit would move in a mighty way as we would hear their testimonies. This is about what you are doing in the lives of the people in this church family. And we just can't wait to hear about it. In Christ's name, amen.